well, a very good afternoon, morning, evening, wherever you're listening in the world to the Bedford Blues podcast. And it is another away trip, and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome onto the bus, as it were, a man instantaneously recognisable on the pitch, a man who wears his heart on his sleeve every time he pulls on a Blues jersey, and a man who's just as good in the marquee as on the pitch. It is the irrepressible Mr Phil Bolton. Phil, are you ready for this away trip? Uh, yeah, bag's packed and I'm ready to go. Have you got your music? Is music a big part of what you what you have in your life? Uh, yeah, I mean, I listen to a lot of music. I wouldn't necessarily say that I was uh, a massive fan of any sort of specific type of music or genre, but it's just one of them that whatever mood you're in, you can always find a song to uh, either help you chill out or pump you up or, you know, or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't say I was a huge fan of, of anyone in particular, but, the, you know, there are a few of my favourites, yeah. Are there any guilty pleasures on your iPod? Oh, plenty, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I, I, I kind of t- I've taken a lot of my musical tastes from my dad, um, and he—I <laughs> don't know what it is. He's quite one-track-minded, I think, and he won't listen to anything circa nineteen seventy-eight or something like that. But um, yeah, I've got a few on there that perhaps if if I press um, twenty-five and I just play, I'm a little bit embarrassed to perhaps put on the gym <laughs> music, but. It's, uh, it's, I, just, I enjoy it, so it's, it's fine. We'll explore that a little bit later. Sounds very intriguing. I uh, wonder what your songs will be. First and foremost, I suppose, is date of birth. Where were you born? Where did it all begin? 14th of the 12th, 1986. Right. Uh, in Lincoln Hospital. Uh, don't really remember too much about the day, but uh, <laughs> I was told it was cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, Family-wise, how many brothers, sisters? Yeah, I've got an older sister, Sarah, and a younger brother, Tom, mm-hmm. uh, Neither of which really play sport or anything. I am the, my parents' favourite because obviously my life's gone a bit more interesting than theirs. And were you the eldest? Youngest? No, middle. Middle? Yeah. And what's that like being a middle child? Difficult middle child, isn't it? It's always, uh, I suppose, uh, relating back to a musical sort of thing, it's a difficult second album, isn't it? No, it was, I, I mean, I still probably am like this. I've always been the wind-up merchant, I think, in my family. And... Um, much to the dismay of my sort of younger brother and older sister as well. But uh, yeah, Tom used to get it quite a bit, to be fair, when he was younger. What about your childhood? When you think about growing up, what stands out most for you? Was sport always a big part of what you were doing? Well, I was at a little tiny village primary school. And um, I mean, we played football and, you know, all young boys play football, don't they, really? And uh, it wasn't until I got to secondary school, actually, that I uh, started playing rugby. You know, I played football for my town and... And for what is it, district? Yeah, yeah. district. So I, I was—I suppose I was all right at that, but I was always just a bit bigger than everyone else, a bit sort of slower as well. I didn't really suit football. And as soon as I started playing rugby, I automatically thought, "Yeah, this is for me." Even though that my first game was on the wing away at Hull Ionians uh, <laughs> for Lincoln under twelves. And how did you get into that then? Who, who told you about rugby? Who, who gave you the the first step, as it were? Well, I think. I, I can't really remember to be honest with you, but I remember going to secondary school and thinking, oh, I'm going to play rugby, because when I went to go look round, that was one of the things they talked about was the rugby, and it wasn't particularly a, a, a big rugby playing school, but, you know, it's just something new, isn't it, to try. Um, and then I just, I kind of made um, friends with, with a guy who's played down at Lincoln, and um, yeah, he just asked me to go along, so I did. Um, that was when I was in year seven, so it was under 12s, I think, and then I haven't really looked back since. And was it love at first sight with the game? What was it about the game you remember that, that you liked? I don't know, really. I think it was perhaps just being able to 
hit people. I don't know. It's like a not. You mean the physicality? Yeah, yeah. Not getting in trouble for it. I suppose I was because I was like, like I say, little village primary school. I remember getting into trouble quite a bit for throwing my weight around, and not necessarily in a bad way, just because I was bigger than everyone else, and that's just what you do when you're a ten-year-old boy. But yeah, rugby is uh, it, it suited me. I think it suited my physique and it suited my sort of mentality, if that's perhaps the right phrase to use. Mum, dad involved? Will they push you? <laughs> yeah, well, my mum was. I mean, she it's one of them when you, you go to the mini and junior sections of rugby clubs, you see all the mums and everything there, and she was, you know, she automatically um, got involved with it all, and she was there on Sunday morning selling bacon butties to raise money for tours and things like that. Dad, not so much so. Mum calls Dad uh, the glory supporter because he's sort of... He did come and watch me, to be fair, but he was always... Sundays was his day off and, and uh, he'd come occasionally for the big games, but it was... Uh, yeah, it wasn't... It was Mum that came... Who, who took me there and, and she did it all, really. And describe Lincoln as a, as a, as a club then and, 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 and that setup. Good family atmosphere, I'm, yeah, I'm assuming? It, it was. I mean, I, I left... Um, I stopped playing for Lincoln when I was... Um, under 16 I went away to school and then I got involved with Rotherham so I kind of stopped having to play there but um, it, yeah it always was a really really good family club there and lots of teams and it was only a small facility I think when I was there they only had three pitches um, but yeah I mean there was hundreds and hundreds of teams and like on a Sunday you couldn't get parked for all minis and juniors games going on and the coaches there were fantastic and my first coach Bob Dudley was really really good he used to you know, take me everywhere and Help me with the county stuff and everything like that. So I can't speak highly enough for the club. What happened at 16 then? Well, I, can't, I wasn't really doing too well at school. And um, I don't really know how it came about. But I sort of got the opportunity to... Um, I got a scholarship, basically, to a, to a public school. It was boarding school. And it was one of them that when you sort of doing all the age group stuff, it, I felt, and I know a lot of other people felt... It was kind of what school you went to rather than how good a player you were. And I just thought that to bet myself as a rugby player, I'd need to go to a public school and, you know, and do it that sort of way. So, and it was, a, it was just an opportunity for one to further myself, I suppose, in life, but also in, in rugby as well, because it meant that I would be playing a lot more regularly and training a lot more regularly, which, you know, can only be a good thing. But also I felt that being at a school like this could only mean one thing, that it, perhaps it gave me a bit of an edge. But it, 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 it didn't, it didn't, because I didn't actually make it into any of the age group stuff. Um, I think I got Midlands trials, but I didn't get into any of that. Um, I don't think it particularly bothered me at the time, because I was still playing at a, a good level with the school and enjoying it. And um, when I got to the upper six, I was made captain and then trained with Rotherham in, in the old National One. So although I didn't get any representative honours, I was still you know training with a national one team and then ended up playing as well as soon as I turned 18 so it kind of it did work out well in the end sort of thing at that point did you foresee the future did you sort of say oh then this could be something I could I could have as a career I know at 18 it's a big word to use yeah. in a funny sort of way or was it just something you did on a year by year basis you thought well let's just do this for now and, and see what happens I don't, I don't know, I think, I can't really remember where I sort of realised I could perhaps take it take it on. I mean, I was playing for Rotherham and I sort of thought, well, this is a decent level, you know, and I wasn't ready to be playing for them and it just so happened that luck was on my side, that I was involved and, and coming off the bench and getting 10 minutes there and 15 minutes there and it was all good for experience and um, just sort of out of the blue, my coach at school actually had said, 
he was a EPDC coach for, for Leicester, which is their sort of outer academy, if, if you I don't know if they still do it. And he said, oh, look, Richard Cockrell's heard that you're playing in Division 1. They want to have a look at you. Don't sign for Rotherham sort of thing. And then the next thing, I got a phone call from, from Richard Cockrell, who was the academy manager then, um, academy head coach then. And um, I went for a, a couple of training sessions and a game against the combined services at Welford Road, which was you know, a massive, massive thing for me because... I, I did actually support Leicester as well when I was younger and it was just, it was brilliant to be involved in something like that and I know mum and dad, you know, it meant a lot to them, you know, um, coming to watch me there. And then, yeah, he just, he, they offered me the academy contract. I think it was probably, in terms of schooling, it was one of the worst things that could have happened because it, it sort of took my focus off my exams and just sort of made me think, well, I've got this to fall back on. But... You know, it's when you can't really tell eighteen-year-old lads, can you, that they need to? But it's easily done, isn't it? Because Leicester is a name, probably one of the biggest rugby names club-wise in the world. I mean, this must have been you thinking, "Well, hold on a second, I must be doing something right." Yeah, well, I mean, if you, just particularly when I joined, if you sort of likened it to football, it would be the Man United sort of thing of football because of everything that they've won and everything that the the culture of the club and and just you know the whole the whole thing about Leicester. But yeah, no, I really enjoyed being there and everything. And, and when I got the opportunity to, to go, obviously I wasn't going to say no. Let's have a look at music. Let's change the topic for a moment. <clears throat> yeah. Your first track that you take on this away trip with you is yeah. what? Um, well, it's kind of a song for anyone who's ever played rugby and you know joining a new team, a sort of rite of passage. Um, to be accepted in the team sort of thing is on the first away trip you know particularly at Bedford you have to stand up normally had a too many, too, few too many beers on, on the bus back and stand up and sing a song for the bus um, normally um, you know it's met with a lot of boos and jeers and things like that but it's my sort of go to song I would sing because I know the words to it but also I think that other people know the words to it so it kind of gets them to join in as well um, so my first choice would be Eagle Eye Cherry Save Tonight. Tomorrow comes to take me away. I wish that I, that I could stay. Girl, you know I've got to go. Oh, Lord, I wish it wasn't so. Save tonight. Fight the break of dawn, come tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll be gone, save Break up, don't come tomorrow Tomorrow I'll be gone, say So, there you were, Leicester Tigers Academy. Um, obviously, what seemed like heading in the right direction. There was an opportunity to go and explore other rugby elsewhere with, with, within that? Yeah, well, basically what happened was, um, I signed a two-year... Um, deal the two year academy deal and um, the first year I was there it was under 21s so I was I was fine because I was under 19s then um, and we played a bit I mean there, we, there wasn't a lot of rugby there was a, a lot of training a hell of a lot of training and it was kind of like about learning the game and learning how to be in that environment I suppose um, and learning how to lift weights properly and diet and things like that and it, so it was more about not just playing it was more about the whole the whole rugby player but I don't think that really suited me as a person because I need to be playing and rather than just on a rugby pitch and I, you know perhaps it wasn't the best environment for me to be in 
Um, and then the whole academy system changed the second year I was there and went from under 21s to under 20s to sort of mirror the England setup because England um, under 21s then went to now as it is under 20s. So it kind of left um, my age group in a bit of a limbo and there was there was me, Ollie Dodge, uh, Tom Youngs, Dan Cole, um, Alex Shaw, who's now at Nottingham, and a guy called Rob Springall, I think, with a six who were in my age group. And instead of us, oh, Ryan Owen as well, who obviously came here, who, um, instead of us sort of just training and trying to get 18 games and that, they sent us all out on loan. And, um, well, Ollie, Dan, um, Youngsley, oh, Pinar, all went to, came here, obviously. Um, and then me, Alex Shaw and Ryan Owen went to Nuneaton, who were in the old second division, and they'd just come up. And uh, Darren Garforth was the forwards coach there to begin with, so it was obviously a big pull for me to go there, and it was good to get you know get some experience with him. But he left just after pre-season. But I ended up playing you know, 25, 30-odd games for them in that one season, and coupled with the training, I think that sort of really, really suited me to be like that. And also, as well, it was even though we were in the academy, it didn't really feel too much like a team in that we were striving to be some something perhaps that we weren't, if, if that makes sense, you know, trying to be in the first team and then you're always on the fringes of the first team because you're younger and you're not really in there. And it was, I don't know, it just didn't seem seem right to me. But then going to Nuneaton, you had one team, you're in there, you know, I had a bit of responsibility in that I was seen to be coming from Leicester and I should be, um, you know, one of the better players and everything like that. And it worked out really well for me. I, I you know, really enjoyed my year that I had there. I was going to say, having spoken to people like Ollie Dodge and, and Ben Pinar when he was here, and, and certainly Dan Cole has spoken about it at length, mm-hmm. um, it was a strange time in so much as your hand was forced, but ultimately it became the best option for a lot of you young players was actually to go and learn how to be part of a team playing week in, week out. And there's no substitute for that, is there? No, there isn't. And, you know, playing against men as well, you know, you're a 19-year-old boy, you know, especially in the front row, he's at Nuneaton. At Nuneaton, yeah, <laughs> and even then, I mean, it was a decent standard, and and for what I needed it for, it was it was perfect for me. You know, playing in the front row, like I say, as a nineteen year old boy against fully grown hairy ass blokes that would you know sooner smack you in the face than get pushed backwards in the scrum was perfect. You know, um, I don't know, maybe if you're on the wing there, perhaps it wouldn't be uh, too much of a a decent move for you because it wasn't exactly an expansive game but that's just how it is you know Ryan Ryan came there and I don't think he particularly did too well in the Nuneaton team but he um, you know he, he came to the Blues this season after that and, and, and did really well and I'm sure all the Blues fans will remember him scoring plenty of tries for us so I, you know it must have helped him in some some aspects but perhaps I think for myself it just sort of helped me a bit more and the season after that I signed for Rotherham and I think it just because I'd had that many games under my belt it wasn't too much of a shock for me to come into playing regularly again if, you, if that makes sense Who signed you at Rotherham? Well because I'd left so I still had a lot of ties with because I'd been there previously I still had a lot of ties at the club and um, Andre Bester had taken over the season that I'd left and he was there for two years um, and then obviously a lot of their a better player sort of went on to bigger and better things, like Sir Henry Faree and um, Eric Lund, you know, and, and quite a few other players went back to, to Ireland to play in, in sort of higher, higher leagues and things like that. So they were sort of rebuilding the squad. And um, Craig West, who later became the first team coach and he was there for, for a few years, was the sort of a, the academy coach or interim sort of 
I don't know how, what his sort of role was then, but he, yeah, he phoned me up and just said, "Look, we need a, we need props. Are you interested in coming to speak to the um, to the owner and, and talking about it? We haven't got a coach yet, but that's all going to get sorted out." And I went and spoke to them, and I had um, I had another offer from Birmingham, Birmingham Solihull, and um, I was I was talking to Cobb as well. And I don't know what what it was, but I just felt that Rotherham was perhaps my best option. They'd finished second in the division then, and they're obviously always renowned for scrummaging and things like that. So being there, just I don't know if I felt it just felt right. So I ended up yeah signing back for them, and had another season there with a coach called Phil Warahiko, who um, who played with Toops actually back at Bay of Plenty. He was a real good guy and um, a good coach, but just one or two things didn't work out for him. Results perhaps didn't go his way, and and he ended up getting sacked and then Craig West came back in and, and took over and it, we, you know we had an okay year and it was but there was a lot of unsettling factors in that year and it, it'll never help any team especially a new team that's trying to come together and I think I can't remember where we finished finished mid, mid-table and then around Christmas time I got a phone call from Ben Wetson and I, I remember you know I, I remember recognised the name and played against him the first first time I was at Rotherham and uh I thought it was funny that he, he was phoning just just to see what my sort of plans were, and then I said, "Well, you know, I'm, I haven't signed anywhere, so I'm available." And then that was it. Didn't think any more about it. Sort of six weeks later, agent was on the case, and and then things happened. Came down and met Mike and Ben, and had a tour of Bedford, and the sun was shining. And it, again, it was just one of the things. It felt right to be doing it, and it was, you know, I could have stayed at Rotherham again, and, and you know, there was there was enough for there for me to, to be there. But I don't know. It's just. I quite like the thing that attracted me about Bedford was I liked the way that they played, but I also I liked the fact that Mike had been here for so long and, and that I don't know it's always been the case I think a lot of players want to play for Bedford, and when you know sort of talking about um, when I was at Rotherham and, and talking to players, they sort of you always get whispers what are you doing next year and all this sort of thing. I say well actually I've got the gig at Bedford and they, they were sort of jealous about it and it's you know it's it's a nice feeling to be to be thought like that and I think it should be. It says a lot about the club and about the coaching staff and the supporters and everything about it, about the place that, you know, it, it's, it says a lot. So I'm pleased to be here. Second song. Yeah. And I, I think this is a one that gets you into rugby frame of mind, is it? Well, I don't think I need a lot of, a lot of encouragement to try and get myself aroused for rugby, as it were. And music, certainly, because it doesn't really do too much for me because... The way we've got it at Bedford is we, you know, we've got the guys who are there shouting and screaming their heads off, and it, that sort of gets my, gets me in the frame of mind for doing it, you know. And you've always got people like Sash who are there, and it, it, they, you know, they talk really well before a game, and you know, listening to boy, those boys speak always sort of gets me ready for it. But if it had to be uh, for a song that I would perhaps have to sit in the corner and listen to, then this would be the one that perhaps sort of get me, get me pumped as it were. And it's uh, Clubfoot by Kasabian.
mentioned there, just before we heard from Kasabian about getting ready for a game, and you painted a nice picture of a, a changing room and some people shouting. The, 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 I'm, I'm guessing there's a sort of a split, some quieter folk, some busier folk, some louder folk. Is that is that what it is in the yeah, team? Yeah, I mean, again? yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like I say, everyone's different about the levels of arousal that they need to be up for a, for a game. And um, I don't know, I used to be one of those players that was shouting and screaming and having to, you know, really, really get myself up there. And I, maybe that was nerves being young and, I don't know, maybe a bit scared of, of going out there or whatever. But, but yeah, it's, it, it is different looking round you know you've got people like Mike Howard for instance who uh, he goes takes himself off into the corner and puts his own music on on his on his iPod or whatever and just sits there and then like I say you've got Sash who's in your face and he's telling your boys what to do and he's shouting lots of instructions but it's not noise it's actual it's you know it's good words and I like listening to that but being at Rotherham this is one thing that always used to get up for a game and it's a bit I don't know a bit weird really but we had we had one lad there um who used to dry retch a lot before a game. And I think that must have been his nerves and then coupled with a dry mouth and putting your gum shield in. So when the captain would be talking, you could just hear this... And I don't know what that is, but listening to that always used to make me think, right, he's ready for the game, so I need to be. And it just sort of... It really switched me on. Um, so who, who does that for, for you at the Blues? Well, there's no, one, there's no one... There's no dry retchers at the Blues, unfortunately. But I was perhaps... Yeah, so that was probably my... Uh, motivation at Rotherham to try and get up for the game and as well at the meeting we had a couple of dry wretches which is which is always good and actually one of the dry wretches was the captain so him trying to do his sort of speech before the game was always interrupted by a <laughs> and it was quite funny but it also it, I don't know it just made you maybe it took the focus of the fact that the game's on and it's just sort of one of those little quirky things that I don't know it makes you think about something perhaps a bit different to rugby or, I don't know, I make the association of hearing someone dry wretch that we're going to go play a game. So, we haven't got, like I say, we haven't got any at Bedford, I don't think. Or none that are as loud as the boys, one of the boys at Rotherham and, and at Maneaton. But, yeah, it's, I do like hearing that, strangely. Is there anything you like to do before a game you have to do? Uh, no, I got asked this question actually the other day. I don't have any rituals, um, as it were. I, I do, I like, to, if I'm starting, I like to look at the shirt before and the number three and I just like to just sort of say to myself, this is yours, keep it sort of thing. But it's not really a ritual, I just, I don't know, I've always done that, I've always thought to myself, you know, this keep, that's your shirt now, keep it, make sure you do something to keep it. But yeah, I don't have any sort of funny, I don't pack my bag in a certain way, I don't go to the toilet at a certain time, I don't tie my boots in a, you know, it's just, I get ready for a game, I tape, roll my socks down and, and go and train, so... Uh, go and warm up so that's just how it is you're in your fourth season now is it yeah so, that's right so, yeah. what were your initial thoughts about it all was it as you as you thought were there any surprises or any people there you thought oh this this could be better or worse than, than I thought was there anything then there what were your first thoughts well yeah I mean when the, the season I joined it was kind of like a, a rebuilding year I think for Bedford and a lot of the old guard had left um and you know we have some new players coming in myself that was, that was John Phillips and yeah. Matt, Matt Allen and there was an element of, of rebuilding in so there must have been a real freshness coming in there must have been a real feeling of, of new ageness as it were yeah well like I say because for me I mean it didn't it was just joining a club mm-hmm. I mean for the boys that were here already perhaps looking around and not seeing many people that they, they recognise you know it was probably daunting but like I say for me it was just joining a new club and getting 22 new mates or 30 new mates or whatever but um 
But yeah, I remember looking around and thinking, you know, because I've always been one of the youngest in any team I've played in. Perhaps not so much now, but looking around and there was like there was me, Gregor, Billy, um, Dodgy. You know, we were a really young team going in. You know, coming into it, Mike Howard that was his first season. Chudders was just coming. You know, sort of getting building into the first team, and it was um, yeah, it was good to see. It was you know, like thinking thinking back um, how young we all were, but like how good everyone was as well. It was I think it, it surprised a lot of people actually how how well we did, and I think I can't remember. We didn't. We didn't lose for the last ten games. I think it was. It was an eleven-game unbeaten stretch. Yeah, and my memory serves me correctly. You lost Exeter very narrowly, and then went on a real, a real, including a like a something like a, a seven-six win down at Cornish Pirates, where Billy in the mud in the wind managed to just just beat the Pirates. Six-three, I think it was. Six-three or something like that. Yeah. It was. It was a very low-scoring game. Yeah. And then we had that game, I remember that game like it was yesterday, the game against Doncaster where they came down and it was going to be a really close affair. And it was like 40 nil at half-time yeah. or something like that. It must have been incredible to be involved in. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's one of them that when you, when you are doing well and you're successful, everyone's just on the same page. And it's like, you know, you have players like Billy, who's a bit of a maverick really, and perhaps he's... Um, you know, he was just learning a brand new position as well. And it, again, he hadn't played a lot of rugby and he hadn't played any at this level. But I think it was it was good to see because it meant that, you know, like I say, it was a new thing for Bedford. And they've always had always been strong in the backs and they've always played a certain way. But it was just like, it's kind of typified it that year how, how well we did. And it was like, like I say, when when we, we're best, when we've got ball in hand, that's what we always say. And... Every single one of the players on the pitch that's, well, since I've been here as well, has always been a ball player, always wanted to get their hands on the ball and do something. It just happened that year. Things clicked pretty early for us. And yeah, we, we did really, really well. It's a shame that the playoffs weren't that year because I think we could have perhaps done it that year if, I had, if it had been for the playoffs. But um, I think it was Leeds, Leeds were in then, weren't they? And they went up. And it was just, we had a bit of a sticky patch around Christmas time that, that sort of, that did us, but we finished second, did we? Or third, second. So yeah, we, we had a really good year that year. Third song. Yeah, this one's a bit more. Um, it's it's kind of a, a song I like to listen to, to, sort of when I want to get away from rugby. And it's um, it reminds me of a friend of mine who died. Who I played rugby with, uh, um, Neat and Dan James, and um, one of my best friends uh, played this song on acoustic guitar at his funeral, and it's just. Uh, listening to the lyrics and stuff like that, it's um, it, it, it was really sort of apt to be played at his funeral. But also, it was a song that we both enjoyed, all, th- all three of us enjoyed, and it just takes you back to a time when you know, and it reminds me of him. So it's uh, I don't particularly I do like the band, but I don't particularly like the front man. And it's uh, the Libertines don't look back into this.
sunny cast your clothes But you're on the run And all the lies you said Who did you say? And then they played that song At the dead disco It started fast But it ends so slow And all the time Just reminded me of you mentioned friendships there as we heard from the Libertines and rugby is one of those sports that tends to create stronger friendships than perhaps anything else. Why, why is that? What is it about the game of rugby that bonds people like it does? I don't know, it's, uh, I guess it's just, you know, you get 30 blokes, you put them together, not everyone's personalities match, but to be successful you need to all key in and, and sing off the same hymn sheet to use a, a cliche there but yeah it's just it's one of the things that you, you see your mates doing things that you think are oh, playing hard and and all that and then we play hard on the field and play hard off it with you know and all lights on beer and we all it's just I don't know the whole camaraderie thing of rugby is just it's always been there hasn't it it's always been sort of the amateur side of it and, and that's one thing that we, we do well at Bedford is is we kind of we keep our sort of amateur and professional side quite separate but when they do sort of come together and we have a drink it's all you know it's always good fun and good laugh and everyone looks forward to doing it we said you're in for your fourth season has it ever been a difficult choice signing back on no I don't think so because like I say it's Bedford's one of those clubs that I'm pretty sure come um, the end of the season Mike's got hundreds of agents phoning him loads of CVs on his desk for people wanting to come and play for Bedford the amount of boys you know like going back to friendships and things like that I've got a lot of friends outside of Bedford as well that I've played with or played against and you get the phone call that can you have a word I want to come and play there things like that so it's like I say it's always a nice feeling to, to think well I'm a part of something where everyone else wants to be rather than well I've signed there because I had to I don't have any other options sort of thing where do you see I mean because you props I mean you play until you're about 55 don't you I mean <laughs> what, what what's your what's your plan is it just to keep Keep playing as much as you possibly can and keep enjoying the sport as much as you possibly can? I wouldn't say I've, I've got a, a goal to say I want to be doing this by this stage of my career. I am ambitious and I do want to be playing Premiership Rugby and like I say, whether for Bedford or or for another team, so be it. But I am happy being at Bedford at the minute and I'd like us to win the league this year and I, you know, I want us to win some silverware and that's what my goal is at the moment is to be successful with Bedford. You know, like last year, I think that final against um, against Bristol was, you know, it haunted me for a while because we, it was one of those games that we should have won, but it was just, I don't know, it wasn't right for us on the day. And, and again, going into the playoffs, that Worcester game as well, had it been for a kick going over or a tackle being made, you know, anything like that, it's just, the margins are so fine in sport that it just, it's just horrible to think about that if I'd done something different, you know, we could it could have changed the whole game and it could have changed our whole whole season and it could have changed everyone's career as well because, you know, we could have been that team mm-hmm. potentially going up, I say, going up, but winning the league and or winning that, that silverware and yeah, it's it, it's not a nice feeling to be losing finalists or losing in the in the semis and I'm like going back, I'd just like to to be successful with Bedford and get some silverware. Was that the lowest point that you've had, that Bristol final? I don't know. It was a funny feeling because, like I say, it was one of them that, all, in all fairness to Bristol, they were fantastic in that final. They, they didn't have a very good year at all in, in that league and they were in a rebuilding stage. They didn't see themselves being league contenders or anything like that and they got 
the home advantage and it rained and they played the conditions better than us and fair play to like I say tactically they were better than us and we you know there were a couple of points in the game that we could have we could have won it and kept them out but they were just on the day they were better than us and it was but the the Worcester game was was, a diff, was probably more difficult to take because the stakes were obviously I don't say the stakes were higher but it was just I don't know it's perhaps an English thing, isn't it, to be to want to be the underdog and and beat the the favourites, and I don't know. We it just felt there was a lot of support for us, not only through the obviously the Bedford supporters, but pretty much every other team in the whole world wanted us to win, and it was just you know like the part timers of Bedford against the rock stars of Worcester, and oh man, it's it's not nice to think about now because I I can still see that that kick sailing wide and. Like Ed Froe not offloading to Pritchie would have probably scored under the post, and like Gregor getting held back, and just you know little things like that that just like I say in sport, fine margins change games, and uh, yeah, it's not, not nice to think about. Last couple of questions have been fascinating to talk to you, Bolts. I think we could talk for days, quite frankly, but we've got to we've got to bring it to a to a halt. Last couple of questions: Are you a book man or a film man? If you had to take one with you, what would you take? Uh, well, thinking about this before. I do read a lot when I'm on holiday, but I don't have a specific favourite book. You know, I'll read a book, put it down, either enjoyed it or not. I wouldn't go think, oh, that was amazing, I'll read it again. And then, same with films, you know, I either enjoy them or I don't, and if I enjoy them, then I might watch them one more time, you know, if it's there, but I wouldn't go out of my way to buy it. So, but, having said that, I would probably choose a film rather than a book, and that film would probably be Gladiator. And I just think it's one of those, it's timeless, isn't it? And regardless of what mood you're in, you can always just sit there and watch it. And it's, yes, I, I enjoy it. Have you ever used the phrase, unleash the dogs of war? No, I haven't, but I might, I might do it this weekend. <laughs> Coming back from a band, you know, and being able to play again this weekend. And if I'm selected, perhaps that would be my uh, pre-match phrase going into the game. Sat next to you on a bus journey. If you could have anyone in the world, anyone from any part of history, anyone you'd want to have a chat with, anyone you'd want to ask a question with, do you know who that might be? It's a difficult one because I was thinking, you know, if it was an away trip to say pirates or something like that, you'd want someone to be interesting, keep you entertained, wouldn't you? And I suppose anyone famous would keep you entertained. But I'd like to say um, Peter Kay, but I think logistically it wouldn't work, both being sort of the more rotund gentlemen that we are perhaps being sat next to him wouldn't be uh... oh we can sort out the seats it's not a problem we can oh, we okay. give you as much leg room we can give you all of it we can feed... no no don't worry about that Peter K would keep you chuckling all the way down to Penzance yeah yeah if you, you know if it was if it had to be the normal bus seats and I have to go for a skinnier sort of comic then, <laughs> than that. well it's been it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you you're um, an absolute gem on the microphone and on the pitch as well it's been real real pleasure good luck with everything you do Bolts I'm I'm only too keen to watch it all evolve from now on in and uh, good luck with the rest of the season as well thanks for your time thank you